Take your Bible and turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Last week we began uh, a walkthrough of the book of Galatians, and if the Lord allows, we're going to be here for a number of weeks. Last week we learned why it is that the gospel is such great news. Uh, We learned that our best efforts and uh, our goodness contribute nothing to our salvation because Jesus has paid the whole thing. And we also learned that God does not give us a second chance in salvation. What he gives to us is so much greater than that. Today, I want us to look again at the gospel, but I want us to look at it from a slightly different perspective. We saw last week how amazing the gospel is, the gospel simply being how we can be right with God, how we can be forgiven, how can we can have a relationship with God. That's the gospel. So last week we saw how amazing it is. This week we're going to look at it from a different perspective, and looking at the gospel is like looking at a diamond. You you look at a good quality diamond and you see its brilliance, but then you turn it just slightly and you let the light hit it from a different angle and you see even more of its brilliance. The same thing is true of the gospel. Today we're going to look at it from a little different perspective. Now, in the first half of Galatians chapter 1, we learned why it is that we should marvel at the gospel. Today in the second half of chapter one, what I want to do is to have us challenged to do something because of the gospel that is truly significant. You know, most things we do don't really matter, right? Most things we do are very trivial. Most things we do have no eternal value. But there is something that you can do motivated by the gospel that can really matter. And I want you to see that right here, the second half of Galatians chapter one. Let's just begin reading in verse 13. It says, for you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. So Paul here is beginning a autobiographical sketch. He's going to go about halfway through chapter two. We're going to learn much about Paul's life in these verses. And he says to start with that he was a terrorist. Paul sought Christians, those people who professed that Jesus had risen from the grave and he tried to arrest them. He did arrest them. He had them thrown in prison. Many of them were killed. Paul was a thug. He was a nasty man. He was a violent man. It said here his own words, I intensely persecuted the church. Listen to some of this in Acts chapter 26. Uh, Galatians is a letter that Paul has written to the church sharing his uh, theology, but the book of Acts really tells us the story, the history of the early church. And listen to this description of what Paul did, what kind of man that Paul was. It says in verse 10, in Jerusalem, I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. Paul was this, uh, 
was this terrorist who was on a mission to destroy and kill Christians. What we, what we need to see here is that Paul was not a man who had any inclination to follow Christ. Uh, he, he had no uh, inclination to ever become a Christian. And so the next verse, let's continue to read verse 14. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the tradition of my ancestors. And so when he did this, it was a very popular thing. The Jews supported him in this. Now, one thing I want you to see that's important to note there in verse 14, it's something I think people get confused today. Paul was a person who opposed Christ, but Paul's theological convictions were held with sincerity. You know, sometimes people will say, as long as you are sincere in what you believe, then God will accept that. Well, Paul was sincere, but his beliefs were wrong and he was separated from God. Just because we are sincere about something doesn't mean that God accepts our sincerity. No, God wants the truth, not sincerity. So Paul is uh, in every way against uh, what God is doing and, and who Jesus Christ is. Look at verse 15. But, now, that's the most important word in, the, in this passage. Paul has talked about his uh, sincere but wrong faith. He has talked about his violence. He has talked about his heart of hatred. But there's a change, right? And there needs to be a but in all of our lives. This is the way I was, but... This is what I believed, but this is what I depended upon, but. And so, but there's a change. It says, but God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. And so here he talks about his salvation experience. He he talks here about both being saved and being called into ministry. He really puts those two things together because for him they happened at the same time. But he says something about his his coming to know the Lord, him, him receiving the gospel, him becoming right with God. And so two things I want you to notice about this. First of all, how his salvation started. It didn't start with him searching for God. We looked at that a little bit last week. Romans chapter 3 says nobody searches for God. This didn't start with Paul on this uh, quest to find God. No, it started with God. God set him apart. God reached down and convicted him of his sin. Jesus had already died to pay the penalty for his sin. This didn't start with what Paul did. This started with what God did. In fact, Let me just read to you a little bit more of Paul's conversion. It's in Acts chapter 9. You can just listen or you can flip over either way. It says, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And so he's still angry at Christians. It says he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So if they, if they found any men or women who belonged to the way, that's what they called Christianity in those days. Why do you think they called it the way? Because Christians were always saying that Jesus was the way to be right with, with God. So if anybody belonged to the way that he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so he's on a mission to Uh, in prison, more Christians. 
The next verse says, As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Paul, same person, a little bit confusing. But Christ confronts him on this road. Verse 5 says, Who are you, Lord? Paul said, Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And so God reaches out through Jesus to Paul. It started with God. But I also want you to see about his salvation experience that it, it was consummated with a response uh, by the apostle Paul. Paul said, in fact, in Romans 10, 9, that if we will confess with our mouth and, uh, that, that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that, that God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. See, it starts with what God does when he reaches out to us, but it's consummated by our response when we believe and we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord. It's interesting that when Paul describes his salvation, and he does so on several different occasions through, through the letters, through the epistles, that, that in every instance, Paul describes salvation as if it were something that happened to him as opposed to something that he sought out. And I think that's an interesting thing to note. Salvation, when Paul described it, he always talked about it in terms of this happened to me. I'm thankful that salvation has happened to me. Now there was a response, we've seen that, but he always talked about it in those terms. And, and that reminds me of my very favorite parable. You know what a parable is? An illustration that Jesus uses to teach a spiritual lesson. And, and so most of his parables are 10, 12, 20 verses long. But there's one parable, I think this is why it's my favorite, that's just one verse. And so let me read this to you because I was reminded of this as I was looking at how Paul characterized his salvation. Uh, he says this in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field. Now, so imagine, a, a man's just walking through a field. He's going from one place to the other. He found a little shortcut. He's walking down a path he's never walked down before. And, and it's as if he stumps his toe on something. He hits something all solid with his foot. And, and so he wonders what it is. And he, he clears away some of the brush and and he finds the corner sticking up of what looks like a chest. And curiosity gets the best of him. So he, he digs up the chest and he opens it up and it is the treasure of a lifetime. And he can't believe he has found this. So he, he can't just take it, that wouldn't be right. So he closes the chest, he buries it right back where it was. And then he goes and he buys the land so that he can possess the treasure. And now he has the treasure of a lifetime. He stumbled across this. You know, that's, uh, that's my story. And, and I, I, 1985, and I wasn't chasing after God. I wasn't pursuing God. But I stumbled into the gospel. And, and somebody told me what Jesus had done. And I, I think I understood it for the very first time in my life. And I, and I responded to it. And, and I had the treasure of a lifetime. And so that's what happened to Paul. It's what happened to me. It's what happened to many, many of you. Isn't, isn't God great? That he, that he brings us to this point of salvation. 
that he did it for Paul and he does it for us. And we can celebrate that. I, I, I want to continue to read here because the next uh, phrase is very important. Verse 16, it says, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Paul says, I was saved so that the reason I was saved was so that I could preach the gospel among the Gentiles. Paul said, I wasn't saved for my benefit. We often think about that. I was saved for me so that I wouldn't have to go to hell, so I wouldn't have to pay the penalty of my own sin, so that I would have joy, so I could pray prayers and see God do things. Well, all of those things are true, but God didn't save Paul, God didn't save me, and God doesn't save you for you. Paul said, God saved me so that I could go and share the gospel among the Gentiles, among the people who don't know that I would be able to go, go and share with them. Let's, let's continue to read right here in verse 16. I, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to uh, Damascus. Now, why do you think it said, why do we even care that when Paul came to know the Lord, he didn't immediately go to Jerusalem and talk to the church leaders? He didn't go talk to Peter or James or John or any of those people. He went off by himself for a few years. Why, why is that important to us? It's important to us because we need to remember that the gospel does not come by deliberation. It comes by revelation. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. The gospel, how we are right with God, the theology that we teach, it does not come because a group of men sat in a room and they, and they deliberated about something and they decided that this makes sense to us. No, it comes straight from God. And so when Paul was challenged to go and preach the gospel, when he was called to go and share the gospel to the Gentile world, he said, first, I need to get with God and find out fully what the gospel is. The gospel doesn't come from us, it comes from God. Now, today, so many people have come up with their own gospel. You hear people saying things like, well, it seems to me that what God would be pleased with is this, or it makes sense to me that we need to respond to God that way. Well, the problem with that is it doesn't matter what it seems to you. It doesn't matter what makes sense to me. It matters what the gospel says, the revelation that comes from God. Now, we go to the apostles if we want to know the gospel, where do we go? We don't go to Arabia for three years like Paul did. We go to the apostles. This is the record of the apostles in the Bible, in the New Testament. Why do we go to the apostles? Because the Bible says in Jude 3 that the word of God has been once for all delivered to the saints through the apostles. So here is the revelation from God. This is where we find the truth. I was reading a book a few years ago. In fact, Dr. Garrett and I, a couple of years ago, we both read this book at the same time. Uh, it was about the atonement. Uh, the atonement, if you don't know that, that Bible word, just simply means why Jesus died on the cross. Do you know why did Jesus die on the cross? And so this book that we read 
I talked about all the different theories today. This is the new controversy amongst theologians. Why did Jesus die on the cross? And people have come up with all kinds of theories. And, 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 and there's the Southern theory, and there's the liberal theory, and there's the feminist theory, and there's the African theory, and there's, there's a dozen theories now for why Jesus Christ died on the cross. And people have written whole books about these. And people who write well and communicate well, they present this very logical explanation of here's why I think Jesus died on the cross, and somebody else will have this whole other thing about why Jesus died on the cross. I'm telling you, this is just taken over some seminaries and theological schools. But, but what's the, how do we settle the issue? It doesn't matter what all of these philosophers have, have, uh, have come up with. It doesn't matter what theories they've developed. Where do we go to find out why Jesus died on the cross? We go to the word of God. This is revealed, not determined. This comes from revelation, not deliberation. And so when Paul uh, came to know Christ when Paul was saved, he goes to make sure he gets the gospel, the full gospel uh, from, the, from the Lord. Well, I, I, I want to skip down. Look at, look at verse 21. He said, afterward, I went to the regions of uh, Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean uh, church, uh, churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith. He once, the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. That's the most important phrase in the whole thing. He says they, they glorified God because of me. That's the thing we can do that's significant. You know, everything else I do... Uh, is, uh, is temporary. And everything else I do is, is trivial in some ways. Everything else is a distraction. But the one thing that really matters is that we bring glory to God and we are a catalyst for other people bringing glory to God. Nothing matters more than that. And Paul says at the end of this testimony, he says, now my life brings glory uh, to God. So I, I want you to see here, there's a gospel road. Uh, th this passage is pretty simple when you look at it like this. There are three parts. There's the start of the road, there's the road, and there's the destination. So notice what Paul has said. Where did he start down the gospel road? Well, he started as a terrorist, as a thug, as this violent, brutal man. That's where he started. And then the road of the gospel is that he came to know Christ. He embraced the gospel. He, he made Jesus the Lord of his life. And God began to transform him, to change him. And then what was the end? What's the destination? Where, where was he trying to get? Where should we try to get? He became a catalyst so that others gave glory to God because of him. That's the gospel. You start as a terrorist, okay, as, as someone who's, who is against the things of God. God saves you and begins to transform you, and then ultimately, where are we trying to get that our lives would be used for the glory of God? So let's, let's just walk through those three things quickly. First of all, how do we go down this gospel road? First, you have to confess and believe. And so if you've not started, that's got to be the first step. You have to confess your sin and you have to believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave and that his sacrifice is enough to forgive your sins and you trust him. You make him the Lord 
of your life. You know, I shared with you a moment ago that parable in Matthew 13, 44 about the treasure. There's actually another parable right after that, and it's two verses long. It's, it's short as well. Let me read that one to you. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. So maybe this morning, as we talk about the gospel, maybe you're here and, 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 and it's your priceless pearl. You realize that's what I need. I, I'm, I'm filled with guilt. I, I, I feel condemnation, but I know that Jesus has forgiven me. If I will just embrace him like Paul embraced him, he will forgive me and make me a new creation, a new creation. That's where it starts. We have to respond to the grace and the sacrifice of Christ. Now, the second step is we have to be transformed. We have to change. Uh, Paul changed from a terrorist to an evangelist. Uh, he changed from a persecutor to a preacher, from a hater to a lover. Now, his change was not instant. In some ways it was instant. He put his trust in Christ. Christ immediately forgave him, gave him a new heart, put him on a new direction. Uh, but, but, but I don't think Paul immediately changed. People don't immediately change. The Bible talks about how God will transform us through the renewing of our minds. Paul wrote that in, in, uh, in Romans 12 too. And so uh, Paul went away for a few years. Uh, a lot of controversy about exactly what Paul did in those three years. I didn't realize there was so much until I studied this week. Uh, but I think one of the reasons he went away was because God's changing him. He's, he's communing with God. He's praying. He's meditating on the truths of, of the Bible. And God is, God is changing him. So there's, there's step one where we accept Christ. Then there's step two where we are transformed by the word, the word of God, by worshiping. And by fellowshipping with other Christians, we're changed. But then there's the last, the last step. And this is where I want to spend a little bit of time. We have to become a catalyst for the glory of God. You know what a catalyst is? A catalyst is something that causes something else to happen. Our lives, if we, this should be the gospel goal of our lives, that our lives might cause other people to glorify God. If, if our lives, if my life could cause somebody else to glorify God, then, then that's when I'm, I'm in the right place on this gospel road. That's where Paul was trying to get to. And that's where he got to. He became a catalyst for, for the glory of God. Now, we all face some hardships, right? You have some hardships. You experience some hardships. We all face some difficulties. We all face tragedies or failures, our greatest assignment with all of those things is that somehow those things might become catalyst for the glory of God. What, what about the Apostle Paul? Well, he was, he was this terribly brutal, violent, vengeful man. I mean, that everybody knew it. And so Paul lived in such a way that even the worst things about him, even the blackest, most terrible things about him are now leading people to say, wow, isn't God great? Isn't God great? Paul talked about his past all the time. He wasn't bragging, not bragging on himself, look what I did, but he was bragging on God. Look what God changed. Look how rotten a person God started with and now 
Look at what God has done in my life. Our assignment is to take all of our problems, difficulties, tragedies, and failures and let those somehow, make those somehow become a catalyst that people would bring glory and honor to God. What, what, what kind of things? Well, maybe it's a well-known sin. Maybe you've committed some sin and everybody in Nacogdoches knows. Or maybe not everybody in Nacogdoches, but everybody in your family knows. There's some sin in your life and you're ashamed of it. And you know that the memory of that sin will never go away. What should you do? Well, you should see that as an opportunity to live in such a way that your life and even that sin would cause people to glorify God. You need to live in such a way that your, your repentance is as notorious as your sin was notorious so that people will say, look what God did with such a rotten person like my, my neighbor, my, my whoever. Uh, we, we, need to, we need to use even our, our public sin. Well, maybe for you it's not, not so much a sin as it is a, just a failure. Maybe you failed at business or Maybe you failed in, in marriage, or maybe you failed in, in parenting, or maybe, maybe we fail, all of us fail in places. Well, our assignment is to take that failure and somehow make it such that people will glorify God because, because of that. Maybe for you it's, it's a hardship. Uh, we had a pastor preach a couple of weeks ago, you may have been here when uh, Dr. Um, Norman uh, Blackaby was here. And I don't know if he shared this uh, from the pulpit or not, uh, but he's a, you know, a, a well-regarded theologian in his own right. Uh, but he has severe dyslexia, uh, which would be a handicap if your job is to read a big, thick book every week. And uh, he talked to me about uh, how, he, how he has had to learn to lean on God uh, how it has strengthened his prayer life and, and how he studies differently and, and he researches differently. And, 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 and he sat down with me and, and, and he talked about, he, he told his story of dyslexia in a way that at the end of that story, I, I couldn't help but, but think anything other than how wonderful is God to do that in his, in his life. Maybe, maybe you have poverty. Maybe you're, you're poor and, they're, they're, and you think that's a, that's a limitation and there are things you can't do because you don't have enough resources. Well, no, use that lack of resources. Let somehow that be a way that people would glorify God. Maybe you've been downsized. Maybe you've lost your job. Uh, maybe there's some tragedy or some pain. Maybe you've gone through infertility or, or cancer. Maybe there's been a, a death of a of a child or a spouse. Um, maybe you've been divorced. Maybe you've been abused. Listen, there is nothing so horrible. There is nothing so regretful that it can't be used as a way to lead people to glorify God. That's our assignment. With the Apostle Paul, he, about, he was about the worst person you could imagine. But God, by the end of chapter one, had so changed him that people heard his reputation and knew what God had done, and they said, wow, glory be to God. I want to show you, I'm not a big video in the sermon kind of person, but let me show you a video 
a modern day Apostle Paul story that I think will encourage you uh, to, to be a catalyst for the glory of God. Let's watch this together. Confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's nothing kept out of that. It's all unrighteousness. My sin was great. His grace is so much greater. Well, I was raised in a Christian home, good believing mother and father, but it was a very legalistic uh, kind of faith. It was all about what you do and what you don't do, more importantly, what you don't do. Um, and so I, I really did learn at an early age to kind of have two personas. You know, I, there was the good persona that made my parents happy, and then there was the, the real me that I didn't want anybody else to see, particularly my mom and dad. That over, over time, uh, later in my life, generated into um, sexual sin. And so I hid that very well, and um, sexual sin really uh, kind of took a hold of my life and, and really made me a, a slave to it. Uh, I became, uh, it was very much bondage. Finally, my, uh, my sin could not be hidden anymore. Uh, I was unfaithful to Karen in my marriage, uh, certainly unfaithful to the Lord. Uh, as much as I tried to hide it, it became known. And the, the discipline um, was very hard. And Karen and I, after 25 years of marriage, were, were heading towards divorce separated and during during that time that was probably the most difficult time because I tried to repent but I had confessed only a piece of what the sin was I had not confessed all of my sin and still hadn't been honest with Karen and others about the depth of my sin and the extent of my sin and Satan really used that as a, a tool in my life to keep bringing me back in and bringing me back down. Well, yeah, they know about that, but as long as they don't know about this over here, you're okay. So you might as well do that. Um, and that's just a lie. When I reached kind of the bottom of my depression, I'll use that word, when I was doubting my relationship with Jesus, uh, I heard in my spirit him say, you are my child. But if you don't repent and come back to me, I'm going to take you out of the game. Um, and I knew what that meant because I, I saw where my life was leading. Uh, just as the word says, uh, the, the foolish way leads to death and destruction. I, I saw that my life was going to go in that direction if I did not come back to Jesus. And uh, for me to, to kind of repent and then turn away from my sin, it meant leaving everything, uh, quitting my job, uh, leaving the area, uh, leaving the life that I had created in, in Manhattan. When we first moved down here, we went to the summit, and uh, but I wanted to make sure that the leadership knew 
my story. So when I came down here, I met with Danny Franks and uh, sat with Danny and told him my story. And he said, you know, Paul, why don't you come to the summit and let the summit be a hospital for you and Karen. After a while, we began to serve. Uh, and it's been, that's probably 10, 12 years ago now. And uh, since that time, for 12 years, we've had a small group meeting here on Wednesday nights uh, in this room. And uh, we became marriage mentor couples, which is very ironic if you stop and think about that. We're on our 24th couple. So it's been interesting to see how God has taken something very evil, very wrong, and turned it turned it into something that can be used uh, for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. My sin is not what defines me. Uh, the fact that I'm a child of God and I belong to Jesus, that's what defines me. My sin is what I did. It's not who I am. Now that I understand that truth, I can tell others that don't let that be a tool that Satan uses that keeps you in your sin. Your sin does not define you. It's not who you are. Who you are is a child of a living, powerful God who died for you. And that's your identity. Isn't the gospel great? Let me, um, it's interesting, his name is Paul. Uh, so let me share with you just one sentence he said and one sentence the other Paul said, the, the, the Apostle Paul. So Paul, video Paul, said, Isn't it interesting to see how God has taken something very evil, very wrong, and turned it into something that can be used for his glory in the advancement of his kingdom? Here's how... Paul, the Apostle Paul, said it. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith. And they glorified God because of me. See, here's the gospel assignment. You take whatever it is, a failure, a tragedy, a sin, shortcoming and you use that such that it will become a trophy for God's grace and lead people to bring glory and honor to God head bowed eyes closed if you don't know Christ as your savior the gospel assignment is to accept Christ he's made it possible Jesus has died upon the cross. He will forgive you if you'll call upon him. Today can be the beginning of a new life. When we stand and sing, I'll be standing with others here at the front. You can step down and take someone's hand and say, today, I want to follow Christ. For many of us, we do know Christ. And we also know some black marks in our lives some sins, some failures, some tragedies, hardships, could we be like the Apostle Paul such that people will glorify God 
knowing that of our lives and how God has transformed us. Father, use our lives as a gospel witness so that people will bring glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.